morning, glad you're here. Don't worry, I'm not going to stand, because if I do, everything goes bad. Everybody knows. Um, <clears throat> glad to be here. Man, I, uh, I am I'm hyped up on a little bit of coffee and DayQuil, and so no telling what could come out. We're at least going to use that as a preemptive excuse. If something crazy comes out, we'll blame it on the, you know, the VIX-inspired uh, lunacy. Um, no, we're going to be okay. But hey, I do want to remind you, we have QR codes, you know. They are floating around the building. If you want to scan one of those, it's amazing what it can do. Uh, but otherwise, we're in the Book of Mark today. Uh, we're going to spend one more week in the Book of Mark, and next week we'll kind of change gears and talk about Christmas and the birth of Jesus and all of those fun things and just tell that story that needs to be retold. And I will remind you, too, you're going to hear about it again before the end of today. Uh, we are meeting on Christmas Day for the first time in Origins history. Uh, we get to gather and worship uh, on Christmas Day. Uh, it will be easy, uh, not a lot of volunteer activity, nothing like that. There'll be chairs, there'll be voices, there'll be communion, there'll be that. So if you're in town that day and you want to come, we're going to do it at 10 o'clock. There won't even be coffee. So it'll be come in, bring your own coffee, do all of that kind of stuff. We don't want to put our volunteers out, um, but we do want to take advantage of the fact that, you know, we actually get to gather on Christmas this year. Um, I misstated last year, you know, last week rather, how often this occurs over the past several times that Christmas has fallen on a Sunday uh, it, it occurs like every five years, every six years, every nine years, and every 11 years. So pretty crazy. And so I don't know how that works. Leap year just messes things up like crazy. But that's the way that it works. And so we get to do that this year. So uh, we'd love to see you that morning. If you have your Bibles, open up to Mark chapter 12. Uh, we're continuing uh, in our series in Mark. And we've got one more question and answer time with Jesus today. Um, it's, it's slightly different from the past few that we've looked at. Uh, but it's still a good one nonetheless. And uh, man, I've enjoyed, I've enjoyed walking through Mark. I know that we joke that it's taken us this long, but we're intentional um, with making sure that we read every single word and we talk about every single word the best that we can. So we're glad that you've been a part of it. If you've missed any of it, you can go back and listen to just, a, just about all of them. We've experienced technical difficulty here and there, but uh, if you want to get caught up, do that. I'm going to pray and then we're going to jump in and read and, and talk through this passage today. God, we love you. Thank you so much for loving us. Thank you, God, that uh, you're a God who cares about his kids. Uh, you didn't just set the cosmic clock to rolling and step back. Uh, God, you created us, and you've been in contact ever since. Um, God, thank you that you care, not just about who we are, but how we are. Um, and Father, we, I thank you that we can look to Jesus as proof of that. Um, thank you today that we get to rally around the truth that is in your word. We get to rally around uh, the very words of Christ. And Father, I pray that you use those to make us look more and more like him. Uh, we love you, and it's in his name we pray. Amen. So Mark chapter 12, we're going to be 28 through 34 today. Fairly familiar passage, often quoted, often referenced either this or Matthew's version, either way, which you find in Matthew chapter 22. But today we're reading Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 28. We'll read through, and then we'll come back together and, and talk through it. So Mark 12, 28. And it says, And one of the scribes came, scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribes said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. 
And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. So over the past several weeks, we've had these exchanges between uh, the, legal, the legally minded uh, religious elite uh, trying to catch Jesus, trying to either catch him legally so that they would have a right to arrest him or trying to catch him uh, kind of in a, in a moral clause so that they could catch him and discredit him. Either way, they were seeking ways to ruin Jesus. We saw that from kind of the collective Sanhedrin. We've seen the Herodians. We've seen the Pharisees. We've seen the Sadducees last week. Um, and then today we have the scribes. The scribes were the teachers of the law, and they were usually fairly closely linked with the Pharisees. But the difference from today, at least the way that it appears here, is that the intent of this particular scribe was slightly different from the intent that we've seen in the preceding weeks. Because all of those in the preceding weeks, it even talks about they were maliciously coming forward, they were deceitfully coming forward, they were hypocritically coming forward, trying to ask Jesus a question in the hopes of catching him. But today, it looks like we have this scribe who was kind of witnessing the way that Jesus had answered questions, the way that he had silenced those who were trying to catch him, and he was kind of amazed. He was a bit mesmerized by the, the, the wisdom that Jesus had spoken with and with the authenticity in which he had spoken with. And so he posed a question to Jesus. And the question was simple. Of all the commandments, which is the most important? Now, this question probably didn't come out of left field. It was probably not unusual. It was probably a question that was often debated in the synagogues or around tables or, or over tea or whatever it may have been. But, you know, it was probably a question that religious, religiously minded individuals probably would have had amongst themselves. And they would have probably argued back and forth or they would have probably made their case for a particular, uh, particular law or particular laws to say, this is the most important and here is why. And so the law for them represents a couple things. Like generally when we think of the law, our mind goes to the Ten Commandments. And that's okay. We're going to talk about those briefly today. But the Ten Commandments were kind of the basis of Jewish law, which was legal and moral for them, but also a bit cultural. And because of that, that it kind of bled into this cultural law idea too, those laws began to grow and began to proliferate to pretty much all areas of their life and how life should be rightly lived. And so for us, we hear the law and we think, Okay, we're thinking religiously, we're thinking like Jews, there were 10 laws, but for them, there were a lot more. So when they said, hey, pick a law, tell us which one is the best or the most important, uh, they weren't picking from just 10, they were asking you to pick from hundreds of laws, which one is the most important. But the 10, we can kind of view those as kind of the basis for those. They all kind of grew from those, and so uh, that was a good basis. So either way, this scribe, this teacher of the law, this translator of the law, literally scribe meant to write. They would literally write down the law, pass it from one person to another. Um, you know, this guy, he's like, I've, I've got a question, teacher. Of all the laws, of all the laws, which is the most important? Which is the most important? And so Jesus answers it. And he answers him with, with something called the Shema, um, which we actually find quoted way back uh, in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. And, and in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, it was said, Hear, O Israel, or Shema Yisrael, the Lord your God is one. There is only one. Uh, love him with all your strength, your soul, your mind, a combination of that. And then after saying that in Deuteronomy, Moses actually wrote a little bit further to instruct. And he said, now, don't just say this. Don't just believe this. But wherever you go, however you get there, while you're on the way, talk about this. Speak about this. Write it down and put it on a, in a fontlet. Wear it on your head or on your wrist. Tell your kids about it. As many opportunities as you get because it's that important. There's one God. 
and love him with everything that you have. Now, Matthew and, and Mark has a version of this too. And even we go back to Deuteronomy, there's a, a couple different combinations of which parts of the body are kind of introduced. Mark here actually lists four. Uh, when Mark says it, he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. There are other places where they just mention three. I think one thing important to, to mention here is we don't need to get tied up in the parts, but we need to understand that he's talking about with the totality of your being, love God. From the bottom of your foot to the top of your head and everything in between, gushy and not, love God with all of that. And so he said, this is what Jesus said. He's like, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. But then, even though he asked Jesus for the most important singular commandment, Jesus doesn't stop speaking. He says, and the second is this, or like it is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he says, there is no other commandment greater than these. And so even though he asked for the most important law, he kind of gave him two, but he also said, they're kind of attached. The way that, that he phrased this in the Greek, it would be like, uh, here is this, love the Lord your God with everything that you have, the only God, uh, but like it or with it or attached to it, understand, love your neighbor as yourself. And so he put those two together. And so the scribe's response, he says, you are right, teacher, which I, th I think, you know, I, I like that. Like, he's like, you, you got it. You got it. Now, he had been listening to the arguments. He had been listening to all those things, and he was amazed. But I love it that he needed to take the time and tell Jesus, hey, Jesus, you're right. Good job. Good job. But he probably wasn't, you know, speaking with the same tone that I was. Maybe he was genuinely surprised. I don't know. Because all of his contemporaries right now, to be honest, they were seeking to catch Jesus. They were calling Jesus uh, things like a blasphemer. They were calling Jesus things like a rebel. They were calling Jesus all kinds of things in hopes of getting him arrested. And so maybe he was genuinely surprised that, man, Jesus answered that exactly right. And this is a guy who poured over the law, who taught the law, who spoke the law, who knew the law inside and out. And so when Jesus answers him as succinctly as he does, but also as, as beautifully as he does, he says, you're, you're exactly right. You're absolutely right. And then he summed it up. He says, you have truly said that he is one. There's one God. There's no other besides him. And to love him with all your heart and with all your stand, understanding, with all your strength, and to love one's neighbor as yourself. And then he adds to it, he's like, these are much more important or they're much more than the whole of burnt offerings and sacrifices. Another idea from the Old Testament uh, would have been that God desires our obedience over our sacrifice. We see that early on when Israel declared that they wanted a king, even though God says, you don't need a king, you have me. But he gave them one, long story, and then at some point that king failed them over and over and over. And at one point he tried to justify himself. He's like, but I made sacrifices and Samuel came to Saul. He's like, God didn't want your sacrifices. He wanted your obedience. And this scribe at that point was referencing that and a few other places in the Old Testament to say, man, to love God with everything that you have and to love your neighbors yourself, it's better than anything else that we can offer. It's better than all of those things that have been offered or could be offered. The whole of that burnt offering, the whole of that sacrificial system, these two are better. And so he kind of says, Jesus, you... You hit the nail on the head. Way to go. And then it says in verse 34, And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, the scribe answering back to Jesus, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. 
And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. And so we, we kind of have not necessarily as admiration, but a little bit of astonishment that's going two ways right now. We have the scribe, when he hears Jesus answer, he's like, wow, you, you did great. And kind of with Jesus, when he's looking at the scribe, even though he's been surrounded by Pharisees and Sadducees and Herodians for the past several chapters at least, days for him, he looks at him and he's like, you, you answered it just right too. You are so close. You're so close. And he used that language that we've been bringing up over and over for the past several months, that this is a, a kingdom idea or a kingdom culture or, or living this kingdom lifestyle, understanding that we're not in the kingdom of this world anymore, but we've been moved from that and planted in God's kingdom. And he told that guy, he's like, you're really close to that kingdom. You're really, really close to that kingdom. Matthew's gospel uh, adds to this a little bit when Jesus uh, finishes his answer, and he actually says the whole of the law is summed up with these two. All of the law, all of the law of the prophets, like all of the law, not just the ten, but all of the law can be summed up by these two. Love the Lord your God with everything that you have and love your neighbors yourself. He says all of the law is summed up just with these, just with these. And that's kind of what the scribe was trying to say too. And then at the end of it, it says that everyone that heard, they were like, we're not going to ask him any more questions. They do in the very next verse. But either way, he's like, eh, he answered that way too good. We're kind of afraid. So interesting, like, it, because we, we probably think, I still think probably for us as Christ followers, uh, if you have uh, given away your sin in favor of Jesus, trusted that Jesus is the only way to make you right with God, you've believed in him and on him to make you right with God, the Holy Spirit comes and lives in us as a result, uh, yes, we are bound to God by the work of Jesus and not the work of ourselves. But somewhere in there, probably because of our humanity, because of my humanity, uh, we still tend to think of the way in which we follow God has to be legal in some way, has to amount to some do's and some do nots. And for the people of Israel, their law you know, they viewed the law at this point, at this stage in their life as if I don't do these things and if I do these things, the do's and the do nots, then I'm accepted by God. And even though we know, or you should know, you should have heard multiple times that it's not what we do and not what we avoid that makes us accepted to God, it's just Jesus. Even though we know that, right? Even though we know it, there's probably still somewhere in us that goes back and just thinks, I need to do this so God's going to love me more. Or I don't need to do this so he loves me less, you know, kind of a thing. So let me, let me lay that aside and just put, put your mind at rest really quick, just to repeat it again, because I know that you know it, and I know that I know it, but I want to say it again. It's not what you do. It's not what you don't do. It's what Jesus did. It's what Jesus did not do that makes us completely acceptable to God. Okay? I want to get that out there. So for us, what role does the law play now? Okay? For the people of Israel, the law was, man, they were entangled in it. Okay, Jesus came at the appropriate time, at the appropriate place, uh, at the appropriate stage in history for all of those things, for the law to be where it was, for the confusion to be where it was, but for the language to be where it was, for the currency to be where it was, for the roads to be where it was, all of those things. And so the law for the people of Israel was very thick and very weighty. But for us, maybe it's just a bit confusing. It's a bit confusing. Let's go back to their, their basis for their law. Exodus 20, 1 through 17 it's going to pop up there. Um, and this is where we get the Ten Commandments, the basis, kind of their, their basis for their law. Everything grew out of that. 
given to Moses on a mountain, broke the tablet, had to write it down again. You know, crazy stories. If you haven't gone back and read like the first five books of the Old Testament, definitely go. Great stories. I mean, it reads like an HBO series sometimes. Um, really, I'm serious. I mean, it's, it's crazy. The book of Genesis, man, if you haven't read Genesis, it, it's nuts, dude. Um, but either way, here are the Ten Commandments in their, in their totality. We're going to read through those. Maybe you never have. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me, number one. Number two, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or carven image or any likeness or anything that is in heaven above or that is, on the, that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down and serve them for I am the Lord your God. I am a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Number three. Number four, remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. Number five, yeah, sorry, sorry. So number four, six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord, your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is in, within your gates. For in six days the Lord God made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land that, your Lord, that the Lord God is giving you. You shall not murder. Number six. You shall not commit adultery, number seven. You shall not steal, number eight. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, number nine. Number ten, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. So the basis of their law read like this. Number one, don't have any other gods before me. Don't have any other gods before me. Number two, don't make idols and worship them. Sounds a lot like number one, but he extends it a little bit. It's different. Make no idols. Don't worship them. Number three, you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. We'll get to that. Number four, keep the Sabbath holy. Keep the Sabbath holy. And then after number four, we, we make kind of a switch. Because we've got the first four. The first four are very vertical in nature. They're about what we do with God. Okay? Number five, we, we make the switch. Honor your father and mother. Man, that gets hard at holidays. Whew. Yeah, and I'm, I'm not kidding. I'm serious. Honor your father and mother. Number six, don't murder. Don't kill people. Okay, there's that. Number seven, do not commit adultery. Number eight, do not steal. Number nine, do not bear, bear false witness about another or your neighbor. Number 10, do not covet. We've seen these on the walls of courthouses, maybe. We've seen them on you know, on nice laminated posters, maybe if you grew up in the church, that kind of thing. But Jesus says something very interesting about when he, at, when he was asked, what's the most important? He just gives two. He just gives two. And the two that he gives, he says, in these two, all of the rest are taken care of. All of the rest are taken care of. Now there's, this could take a long time. Okay, we're, we're not gonna take a long time. Remember what that scribe said to Jesus at one point. He's like, hey, Jesus, you, you answered rightly. You answered rightly. You, you said there's just one God, 
Love him with everything that you've got. And you said love your neighbors yourself. You, you, you said exactly right. And that you love that more than the whole of the burnt offerings or the sacrifices. In other words, you love obedience to those more than you love all of those things that were offered up to you. Right or wrong, you love all those things. For us as Christ followers, as believers, as people that are now synonymously linked with God through Jesus, because when he sees us, he sees Christ. Like for us, here's the role that the law plays for us now, and even the simple way that Jesus spoke it here. If we love God, if we want to honor God, then we obey God. It is that simple. I didn't say it was easy. Because even like I said at holidays, honor thy father and mother, that's, that gets hard. But it is that simple. Man, I hated it when my mom and dad, or my mom especially, my mom was the best at this. She would she'd say, Matthew, clean your room. And I'd go back to playing 8-bit Nintendo. And my room was a disaster. And so she'd walk down the hall. And when, when they walked down the hall of our house, you would hear the china cabinet rattle. You would hear things move. And then I'd, I'd still be playing 8-bit Nintendo. Dun, 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 dun. That's Mario, in case you missed it. And then I'd hear the china cabinet rattle, and she would open the door. And she'd say, Matthew, I ask you to clean your room. Like, okay, oh, well. She'd close the door. Walk down the hall, china cabinet rattle. Back to Nintendo, maybe switch to Duck Hunt if I was feeling frisky. And then in a few minutes, I would, I'd hear the china cabinet rattle again, and I'd hear the door open again. And she'd say, Matthew, clean your room. I'd be like, I will. She said, you keep saying you will. And then here's my mom. She's like, if you love me, you'll do what I ask. And I'd be like, ow! And I'd push the big button. The TV would go, you know, just like that, tube TV. And then I'd clean my room. Because I realized that she was right. To a degree, at some point, we have to see the simplicity of the nature of what God's called us to do. He's, he loved us first. He demonstrated it by the sending, the life, the words, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Then he asked us to just believe on him so that we may know him, be known by him, and make him known. And then he just gives us this charge. Like in, in 1 John 4, it just says that um, we can love because he loved us first, or he loved us first, and now we get to love as a result. But he did it first. Now, as a result, if we love him, we do what he asks. We do what he asks. Easy, hard, simple, complex. We do what he asks. For the very legalistically minded Jewish folks of the time, that would have been a difficult thing to wrap their mind around. Like, God, what exactly are you asking of me? Because the law had grown to such huge, gigantic confusing, weighty, burdensome proportions that it was incredibly difficult for them to even know. God, I would, I'd like to be obedient, you know, but I don't even know what that looks like. I've been told I sin just because the way that I put on my shoe. You know, and you may think that I'm kidding, but everything had its way. Like if you didn't wash your hands correctly before you ate, like that could be equated to sin. 
right? If you walked on the wrong side of the street during the wrong day of the month, hey, that could be sin. And so for them, they're like, I, you, yeah, I get it. You want me to obey you? I do. Like, I want to love you, but I don't even know what that means. Super complicated for them based on the law. But for us, it may be equally complicated because we really don't know what God wants either. Maybe you're sitting here and you're like, I, yeah, I do. Like, I, I want to love God and I want to do what he asks, but I don't, I don't even know what that looks like. I think most of us can agree that the Ten Commandments, they're pretty good. They're pretty smart. These aren't going to save me. If I do all of these, if I was capable of doing all of these perfectly, that wouldn't save me. But I, but I think they're pretty good. Most of the world, at least, at least for those last six, most of the world's going to look at those and be like, yeah, those, those are pretty good. I think we should base our legal system on those. A lot of countries have. We did. Not going to talk about the United States being a Christian nation or anything like that. We're not doing that. But I'm just saying, probably a pretty good idea. But Jesus, when asked, what's the most important commandments, he just gives two. And he says, oh, by the way, all of the law, all of the law of the prophets and all of the law that you're trying to live under right now, it can be summed up by these two. Like, think about it for just a minute. Like, here's, here's what he said. Shema Yisrael, hear, O Israel, the Lord God is one. Love him with everything that you have. Okay, if we love God with everything that we have, we're not going to have any other gods before him, right? We can't. There won't be any room in the end. Because all my love is directed towards him. It's kind of like my love for my wife, right? Like, if I tell my wife, baby, I'm going to love you and just you, I don't have room to love another woman. I don't. And I've got buddies who will shoot me, too, if it even looks like it. And that's okay. They have full permission. Maybe not shoot me, but they're going to hurt me real bad. Because I told my wife, it's just you. It's just you. Saying yes to you means I said no to everybody else. And I mean that. Like, I'm not joking. That's, that's what marriage is. Same thing with God. He's like, look, love me with everything that you have to the point that you can't love any other gods. Takes care of that. Love the Lord your God with everything you have. There's no room for any other gods. You can't have any other gods before him. Uh, don't make false idols. Okay? Okay? God, I just love you, so I'm not going to make any idols. Not going to make any idols. If we love God fully. Now, here's the problem. We make idols all the time. Right? We don't even know that we do it. We might not carve them and put them on a shelf but man, it is so easy to make marriage an idol, to make our kids an idol, to make our jobs an idol. So easy to make all of those things an idol. Make money an idol, make our house an idol, make our hobbies an idol. It's super, super easy. But then again, if we go back, love the Lord your God with everything that you have, really hard to do that. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. You know what that means? That just means don't say his name emptily, without purpose, without cause, without weight, without reverence. When you stomp your toe, what do we say? We do it. But he said, if you love me with everything you have, you won't. Right? That's what he says. Keep the Sabbath holy. Now, the Sabbath is difficult. We, we had this in this text, in this, in this book. So go back and listen to that. Zach covered that. 99.9% .9 sure. My brain's not super clear, but I'm pretty sure he covered that because I didn't. But go back and listen to that. The Sabbath, yes. Now, has the Sabbath changed? Yes, it used to be on a Saturday. Now it's on a Sunday. Does it really mean a Sunday? There's a lot of difficult things. Do we have a day of rest? What's rest for? What does it do for me? Yeah, there's a lot of things. But he said, look, keep it holy. First thing, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, everything in between. If you do, there's no room for any other gods. You're not going to make any idols. You're not going to use my name emptily. And this Sabbath that I set up for my good, for your pleasure, for your good, for my reverence, for my holiness, for my recognition, for your rest, for your good, all of those things, we're going to keep that too. Yeah. And then he said, second, or like it, love, love your neighbors yourself. Like our parents, believe it or not, they're also your neighbors, even if they don't live across the street, 
They're still your neighbors because neighbors are just people in relational or proximal proximity. Either way, they're your neighbors. If you love them as you love yourself, you're going to honor them. Takes care of that. Do not murder. It's really hard to love your neighbor and kill them unjustly too. Believe it or not, it really is. Uh, If you love your neighbor, you're not going to commit adultery with them. You're not going to do that because you're going to sin, they're going to sin. You're not going to lead them that way, okay? If you truly love your neighbor. If you love your neighbor, you're not going to steal their PS5, no matter how bad you want it, or their lawnmower. You know, you're not going to do that, or their weed eater. Somebody really stole my weed eater in broad daylight at our last house. They parked in the middle of the road, walked in my backyard and took it. It's crazy. They didn't love me. That was not loving. You're not going to steal your neighbor's weed eater. It was an Echo two-stroke. I love two-stroke engines. They smell good. They sound good. I hate mixing fuel, but you can buy premix now. Either way, you're not going to steal your neighbor's lawnmower or weed eater. You're not going to do that. You're not going to bear false witness about them. You're not going to say, like in the very simplest terms, you're not going to say that, uh, that Jimmy Darrell lives across the street committed, committed a crime when he didn't. You're not going to say that he was in a place that he wasn't. You're not going to bear false witness about them. You're not going to say any of those things. And two, if you love your neighbor as you love yourself, you're not going to wish that you had what they had because you're going to be happy that they have it and that it's bringing them pleasure. You're going to love them as you love yourself. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. Jesus said if you do just these two, covers all the law. Covers all of it. Now granted, it does. Here's the issue. We can't do it. Even two, even just, even just two, like boils it down to the simplest of terms. Love the Lord your God with everything that you have and love your neighbors yourself. Okay, I can do that. Nope, I can't. I can't. I'll still screw it up. Even on my best day, I'll screw it up. That's why I need Jesus. That's why I so desperately need Jesus. The law is a guide for me, but the law doesn't save me. Why? Because there's no way that I can live it out even when it's simple like this. But it's still a guide. It's still a guide. And that's the reason he turns to this, this scribe and he says, you are, you are so close. He just needed one thing. He just needed that Jesus could do this perfectly even when he couldn't. That's all he needed. That's all I need. That's all you need to understand that this law and this standard, this thing that makes us acceptable to God, we can't do it. Jesus can, and he did, perfectly, to the T. Every ink and nod, he lived out. So we get to trust in him. We get to trust in him. The beauty of the law is it's twofold. Number one, it does direct us in how then we should live. Like if we look at the Ten Commandments and we say, if, if I strove for those every single day, um, I'd be doing okay. It's a, it's a guide, Right? In that way, it's great. Here's the other plus. Uh, It reminds us that we're not worthy. (laughs) Because we look at it and we realize there's no way that I can do it. There's no way that I can do that all. Like I said, hey, honoring your father and mother, especially at holidays, incredibly hard. I don't want to sin this season, and I'm trying to avoid it at all costs, but I guarantee at one point, probably with my parents, even though I'm no longer under their yoke or under their rule or under their roof, I still have to honor them. And I guarantee at some point this season, I'll transgress. I don't want to. I'm not planning on it. I'm not making excuses, but I know my family, and I know me. And I don't want to, but it's going to be hard. Not an excuse. Not an excuse. But man, Jesus, he did it all because he knew we couldn't. And so, yes, the law is great because it teaches us how then we should live. 
but it also reminds us that we need Jesus so bad, so bad. And being close to the kingdom, it's not enough. Being close to the kingdom is not enough. We truly have to believe that Jesus took care of all the law because we could not, and now we're free with him in us to try. And God's going to love us anyway. That doesn't mean we go into it expecting to fail. Not what I'm saying at all. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Hear what I am saying. We need Jesus, and we still need to make the effort as hard as we can. Why? Because it goes back to that idea, he loved us first so that we can love him. And if we love him, we're obedient. We do what he asks. And so I think there's a couple things that we do with, with this idea of love to God, love to neighbors. I think there's two things that we need to think about. Number one, um, I think we, we dwell on how we demonstrate. Number two, we dwell and we think on how we cultivate. Okay, those sound like they go together. I didn't intend that. It's just the two words that happened. We dwell on how and to think about how we demonstrate and how we cultivate. Number one, for how we demonstrate our love for God, the easiest way is if we love God, if we've been equipped to love God because of his salvation, because that's the only way that we can love him back, because he loved us first and invited him into a relationship, saves us from the eternal wrath that he's going to pour out on those who do not yet believe. Like, if we have been equipped to love him, that's only through Jesus, uh, then we demonstrate it. And the one way that we demonstrate that is through our obedience. We talked about that. Um, in doing the things that he's asked us to do. We can't know what he asks us to do and actually, unless we actually get into it. We've talked about that over the past couple of weeks. We're probably going to talk about it every week. In here is what God wants us to do, okay? It's in Scripture. It's written down. It's in Word format. That means that you can read it. I'm not talking about the Microsoft version. I'm talking about the old school Word format. We can read it, okay? If we want to know what God wants us to do, we read. We gave some tools last week. If you struggle with knowing how to do that, go back and listen to the message. Go back and read last week's uh, email. You will find all of those things. Um, so yeah, being obedient, have to know what he says. But for us in origins terms, when we talk about loving God, because by the way, we talk about our mission is this, we exist to make disciples who love God, love one another, and love the city. And so we talk about loving God. Like if you've gone through our membership class or you've been here when we talked about kind of the DNA of origins, we talk about what it looks like to love God. And I think our low bar, entry-level areas for what it looks like to love God, uh, the first is we gather together and we worship regularly. That's one way that we demonstrate our love for God. In Hebrews, we're told, do not be like some and neglect to gather together. It's important. Gather together. The way we do that is what we're doing right now, today, here on Sundays. We're, we're finally at a stage where we can do this almost every Sunday of the year. Next year, there's only two Sundays where we won't be in Zen planned right, right now. We may have some out that we do some community group worship services, but when we rent space every Sunday, sometimes it's hard because they have a schedule. We have a schedule. Life gets hard. But man, we're grateful that we have that kind of regularity that we can get together every Sunday. And this is what I want to say. Like, if we are bound together with Christ and this is your faith family, you be here. Is it because your salvation depends on it? Nope. Not a bit. But it's because you've been granted salvation. And one of the ways that we demonstrate our love to God is we gather with the family all around Scripture, all around worship, all around the truth of who Jesus is because we want to know him more and be known by him more. And so we do that. Entry-level stuff. We gather together. We worship regularly. The second thing is that uh, we pursue God in prayer. We actually speak to him. If I told my wife that I loved her and I never talked to her, she wouldn't believe me. She wouldn't believe me. If I told my wife that I loved her and I never demonstrated at all, nobody's going to believe me. If I say, God, I love you, thank you for saving me, but I never speak a word to him, we pursue God in prayer. 
And prayer is not some crazy, crazy formula for the way that we take our petitions to God. It is us reaching out, speaking to God, telling Him the things about Him that are great, the things that we love, the things that we're so grateful for, telling Him the things that we need, telling Him the sins that we are struggling with and battling with, pursuing Him for help. We pursue Jesus in prayer. It's one way that we demonstrate our love for Him. We pursue Him through Scripture. There's another way. Entry-level, low-bar things that we should all do. But by the way, they're also very, very important. So by entry-bar, low-bar, don't hear me saying something I'm not. Again, we gather together, we pursue Him in prayer, we pursue Him through Scripture. And then with, with other people. So love God with everything that you have, but love your neighbors yourself. The way that we demonstrate it to other people is we actually seek to build relationships with people. Introvert, extrovert, doesn't matter. We seek. We don't wait for people to build relationships with us. We seek to build relationships with people. Like, it's, it's amazing. Like, this week, I was reminded um, about the past year for me. It's been crazy. Like, my past year, it has been, it's been a roller coaster, right? Um, I don't know if you knew. had a bad accident uh, about 14 months ago. And, and this Sunday, a year ago, I was, I was still in a wheelchair. And last night was, the, was uh, the parade downtown. And I remember going to the parade last year in a wheelchair. And it was crazy. And I was so frustrated because it was a janky wheelchair. And, and every bump, I mean, just horrible. And I had to run my foot beside the guide wheel at the front to keep it from wobbling like crazy. And it wore a hole through my old tennis shoes. And David Bonner pushed me all the way to a coffee shop about a year ago, a year and a couple days ago, all the way to a neighborhood coffee shop. And so the past year has been crazy. And so I look back, and I'm incredibly grateful for my genetic family, like my mom, my dad, my brothers, my sisters, incredibly grateful for the family that I married into. But I hope my family's not listening. I'm probably more grateful for the family that God's built around me, for the, the family that God has grafted me into. Because, man, the past year was pretty crazy. Amazing reminder that God builds beautiful things. And people pursue relationship with me. And I get to pursue relationship with them. And what that shows is I love them, they love me. And that's pretty doggone good. Love demonstrated by building relationship is important. The other way that we demonstrate our love for others is they may never see it, but we pray for them regularly. It doesn't mean that I can pray for every single one of you, but there are people that I pray for on a regular basis, and I know that there are people that pray for me on a regular basis, and I may never know and they may never know, but we get to pray for them. We demonstrate our love by the way that we intercede for one another. Pray for them regularly. Um, and then the third, the third and fourth thing, uh, we meet each other's needs. It's a pretty, pretty great demonstration of how we love each other. Man, I love it when mill trains come out and people sign up and they're full within a week. That makes me super happy. I love to see that, especially when I see people sign up and I know they have no idea who they're taking a meal to. That one makes me really, really happy. They just know their family, like extended family that they've never met, that weird, crazy uncle kind of a thing. We don't have any of those here, but just, you know, sign up to take a meal for somebody that I don't know. The only reason I know them is because it came in the newsletter, and they're a part of our church. I'm a part of this church, so I'm going to take one meal. I don't even know what happened. Did they have a baby? I don't know. Did they have surgery? I don't know. Did they go to the podiatrist and it go really bad? I don't know, but they need a meal, so I'm going to take them a meal. I love to see those meal trains fill up fast. We meet people's needs. There's other needs that we meet, too. I mean, sometimes people need money, and they're in the family, and so we try to take care of them. Uh, sometimes there's people that just, need, that just need somebody to come and sit with them. Go and sit with them. Whatever that need may be, uh, we do our best to meet it. And the fourth, man, this one sounds super simple, kind of like love the Lord your God with everything you have, love your neighbors yourself, but the way that we demonstrate it for the one another's and the neighbors 
is we just act like family. Act like family. Maybe you didn't have a very good image of what family looks like growing up. Maybe you had, man, maybe yours was janked up like that wheelchair I was in last year. Maybe it was. But right now you have a chance to live it well. To live it well. To, to love people as you would desire to be loved. To demonstrate it the way you would desire it to be demonstrated to you. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. Man, if I had a need, what would I want somebody to do for me? Oh, they have a need. Let me meet it the way I'd want it met for me. How do I pray for them? Well, how would I want them to pray for me? Well, let me pray like that for them. How would I want them to extend like a, you know, a relational invitation with a lot of syllables? Like, how would I do that? Oh, well, that's what I'll do for them. Love your neighbor as yourself. We act like family. And then the cultivation. So yes, we need to demonstrate, but yes, we need to cultivate. Cultivation's all of those things that we just talked about. The way that we demonstrate, we also cultivate, but there's a couple other things. Like for us and our love for God, here's the one way that we cultivate our love for him. And cultivation, literally, like if you're a farmer, I bet a lot of you are not, but cultivation means we're preparing the ground, preparing the soil, preparing the crop to grow abundantly. We are cultivating. We're doing everything that we can to provide the best environment for growth. Cultivation. Like, and if we're trying to cultivate our love for God, like we've already tried to demonstrate it, but now we want to cultivate it, we've done all those things, we want to do more, uh, it may mean, believe it or not, that we talk about some of those ways in which we're currently living in sin, and we go about putting those to death. Because sometimes the very best way to cultivate is remove things that are going to keep things from growing. Like if we look at the parable of the sower, which we're not going to get into all of that, man, the parable of the sower where that seed grew and grew really, really well is where the soil was perfectly prepared. The thorns were removed, the rocks were removed, all of that other junk was removed. If we're trying to cultivate our love for God, that means that some things may need to go. And the first and foremost on that list is if we have sin that we're just letting sit and we're continuing to entreat that sin, continuing to entertain it, and we're not dealing with it, it needs to die. And we need to put it to death. And the only way we're capable of doing that is through the, the hope, the intercession, the power of the Holy Spirit that's been granted to us through salvation. And so we need to extend our arm to God, say, God, I need you to pull me out of this and let me leave this behind. I want it to die right here. So if we want to cultivate our love for God, maybe we need to put sin to death. And this one sounds crazy. The second thing that maybe we need to put to death is more of like I terms here, something that I might need to put to death if I want to cultivate my love for God. I might have to put more of myself to death. More of me. Because there's a lot of things that I want, a lot of things that I want to pursue, a lot of things that bring me joy, but they may not be in line with what God wants for me, what God desires for me, what God desires to bring me joy. And so therefore, if they don't match up to his plan that he's laid out in Scripture and the way that God works through me through Scripture and through community, then I need to let those go. I need to let them die. My answers are going to be different than yours, so don't copy off my paper. But still, it's the same idea. The more of me that I allow to influence me is probably going to lead me further astray. And so if I want to let God have room and reign, then I need to put more of me away. Somewhere rhymed in there. I didn't intend for that, but I think it did. I'll go back and listen. So yeah, if I want to cultivate my love for God, I may need to put sin to death. I may need to put self to death. Uh, sometimes I may even have to put some relationships out to pasture. And that's really hard. Sometimes there are people that want to pull us away from God. And lovingly, because we love God first, we might have to tell them bye, at least for now or for a season. We might have to say goodbye. 
If you're thinking about that, don't do it rashly. Let's, let's have a conversation first. Cultivating that love for others, all those things that we talked about, pursue them through relationship, um, uh, pray for them, meet their needs, be family. But here's another short list of things we need to do. Uh, believe it or not, you cannot cultivate your love for someone else as family without giving them time. You might actually have to give them time. In order for you to give them time, you might have to take that time from somewhere else. Something that may be very important to you right now, but it may be better placed in cultivating your love for someone else. Again, if I tell my wife that I love her and I do not spend time with her, she's not going to believe me because I'm probably lying. <laughs> so, need to give her time. The other way that we cultivate that is through vulnerability. Vulnerability. Man, having true relationship with each other means that we're honest and open. It's hard to have really good relationship with people if you, if you don't really tell them anything, if they don't tell you anything. Those get very frustrating. Those relationships are exhausting. Don't be that guy. Don't be that girl. Be open. Be vulnerable. Allow them to have access and authority. Neil Cullors, two of his favorite words. Access and authority to cultivate relationship, to cultivate love for each other. And then the last, I think if we want to cultivate love for one another, is here's simplicity at its finest. Just love like Jesus. Do our best to love like Jesus. And like when we see Jesus love, he loves selflessly, he loves sacrificially, he loves truthfully, and he just kind of loves without end. Again, not easy, not a quick fix, but right. Love like Jesus. I think it's so amazing that in this particular place, in this particular time, that Jesus probably could have answered this question in several different ways. But he answered it specifically like this for us. But I, I do think about the people that were right there in close proximity hearing this. And I, I try to imagine the freedom that it granted them in this moment. Because the burden that was on them like, was so heavy of trying to figure out what it meant to love God, what it meant to obey God, what it meant to keep his commandments in their totality. And he just gave them two, just two. For us, I think uh, you, you can hear the demonstrate and you can hear the cultivate, that's fine. But if you hear nothing else than this, hear, hear this. Um, if we have been bound to God through Jesus, he does want to make it simple. And he says, I've loved you enough to redeem you, to save you, to pull you out of the destiny that you deserved. And now I'm giving you the only destiny that I can give you. And as a result, just love me with everything you got. Do the best that you can to love me with everything you have. And just love your neighbor the way you desire to be loved. If we can do that, we'll get through Christmas okay. I promise. I promise. But I think before we even try to do that, understand, even as simple as it sounds, man, my humanity is going to be at war with that. It's going to fight me every single inch. And so before we even try, God love you with everything we have, we need to ask God, hey God, can you help me do that? Help me do that. Thank you for enabling me to do that. Now help me figure it out. To love my neighbor as myself, help me do that too. Help me do that too. God, we love you. We thank you so much for your word. We thank you. Um, God, thank you for the, the simplicity that you offer, but thank you so much for the salvation that only you offer. 
Uh, God, I thank you for the peace uh, that comes through knowing you. I thank you for the hope that we can have as a result of you. Um, And God, we just thank you for wanting to know your kids, Uh, not just creatively, but intimately and relationally. Um, Father, I pray that this season serves to remind us of the links that you go to uh, to reach us so that we can know you, be known by you, and make you known. Thank you for loving us intentionally, relationally, deeply, and endlessly. And Father, I pray that we can uh, do our best to love you in return like that and love others. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.